haven't quit the podcast, so I'm going to take it that it wasn't the worst experience of your life. We'll talk about it. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is There Will Be Movies, a podcast dedicated to our favourite 25 movies from a given decade, Volume 1, 2000 to 2009. We are getting pretty close to the end with Episode 24. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined, as always, by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I'm good. I spent all day building furniture yesterday. The house feels finished. We've only been living here for, like, six months, yeah, so well, it's impressive. Yeah. The house yeah, is like, a project. You know? But like, like literally, the room that I usually record the podcast in, I'm surrounded by books that are on the floor, but they're now on a bookshelf, and mm. I feel like wow. I've leveled up. The TV's no longer a little tiny stool; it's now on an actual shelf. Nice. Or like oh bench. yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one point, you sent me a picture of your TV just being on the floor, and I was horrified. I know, and you were just like, horrified. Why is your TV? Why is your TV on the floor? It's no longer that. Yeah. And you can see my Miyazaki movies, my Wire DVD set, and my Lost Blu-rays. Nice. So. And probably many films by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Maybe not. No, but... I, I actually, I actually only own one film by Tarantino. Okay, well, that was an attempt at a segue. This is episode twenty-four. It's Inglorious Bastards, and we should just address this right now. I fucking hate Quentin Tarantino. It is a defining personality trait for me. Unfortunately, it is not me attempting to be difficult. I just can't fucking stand him whatsoever. When I shared this with a colleague. Of of ours when you and I didn't know each other very well at the store we used to work at. She said, don't tell Ben, he's his favourite director. I believe that's not actually true, but... You it's know. not, it's not. I do, I, but I do very much like him. I, I, I assume it's probably like... I can't remember what it looked like. I didn't even see Hateful Eight, and I think that came out when we were working together. Uh, yeah, probably. But that's like yeah. generally agreed to be possibly his worst film, I believe. It's that or Death Proof is kind of the, the kind of two. And like and the fact that Death Proof came up before this one, I definitely wasn't excited yeah. to go see Inglourious Bastards. Yeah, um, well, this is it is a point of derision that I receive from most people when talking about cinema. Obviously, he is, if not the most popular film director of this generation, certainly one of them. I think he's very emblematic of a certain kind of, like, 90s director in that, I mean, obviously he works with Weinstein, which, mm-hmm. yeah, like, doesn't doesn't help this at all, especially when that fucking logo comes up at the start of this movie. I think he's he's very film bro-y, and he never really got out of that film bro-y way in the same way that, like, a David Fincher did where like he's still making movies that are very similar to the stuff that he was doing in the 90s with Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. whereas David Fincher's doing potentially more interesting stuff like Zodiac like yes. people who went to see Seven and Fight Club are not going to go see the three hour movie about some guys not finding a serial killer <laughs> yeah <laughs> way to sum up that film I dislike him as a human being but I also it's not a case of yeah he's an arsehole but I love his films because I don't love his films either like, there are there are a litany of reasons to dislike Quentin Tarantino, the person, from Polanski to Weinstein to, like, the many dodgy quotes he has given about, like... I don't know if you agree, but he comes across as very up his own ass. And, like, oh, yeah, 100% he's up his own ass. Yeah. I, I, I find him as someone who is, like, an interesting sprinkle of things. Like, mm. I will read what his ten favourite movies of the year are because there's always something interesting in there. Yeah. Even if I'm going to disagree, he definitely puts his foot in it, like, more often than you 
you'd want to. Yes. But I also think that he's probably one of the best dialogue director writers that we've got yeah. at the moment. And I know you can probably disagree with that, but like there are things where I watch his movies, and even if we're watching something like Django Unchained, which is <laughs> highly problematic for words that he uses frequently in a script written by a white man, yep. I can still sit there and kind of go like, just but the dialogue flows really well. There is a poetism to or poetry to like how he's written this. Yes, he makes people talk to each other good. To just belittle that, I just I've never liked his stuff. I think it is over long. I think it is self indulgent. I think his insistence on banal everyday dialogue, his insistence on making a scene twice as long as it needs to be. I don't like the degree to which he just references things he likes. And like I don't want to criticize people for throwing in homages to things they like, but that this dude wanted to make like you know this is me making a samurai movie i want to make a mandarin only movie you know like i get it you've seen stuff you don't get to direct every type of thing dude but... yeah i mean i mean like we're, we're, this is literally like the two movie stretch now where he did this movie is literally titled after a 1978 movie called the inglorious bastards mm. he just changed the spelling a little bit he added a U inexplicably yeah he spelled inglorious the european way and he spelled bastards the nobody but him way uh and he has been notoriously a about why he did both of those things. Uh, and then obviously Django Unchained is a <laughs> reference to the Django movies of a very similar era, kind of like that pulp era of these kind of things. Yeah. And, and obviously like Grindhouse is obviously a very direct reference to the yeah. Grindhouse cinema and yeah. I just feel like I'm not saying white people can't make like authentic eastern like samurai and martial arts style movies. It's just everything about I don't know, I just get this intense, like, you shouldn't be making this vibe from him, in general. And I think, yeah, he has done an awful lot of remakes and, like, his own version of whatever, and, you know, people lap it up, like, I, I think that's another aspect of it. I think if he were just some little, not-that-successful indie filmmaker who wasn't, didn't have this cult of personality around him, I'd just be like, that dude's an asshole, and just stop there, but I have this active resistance because he is such a, like, cult unto himself, like, they sell t-shirts now that say written and directed by Quentin Tarantino on them it's like yeah look you you talked me into it like I haven't seen probably at least a third of his films because of so so which ones have you seen I'm I I just get yeah I guess we should do this right I've seen Pulp Fiction I've seen Reservoir Dogs I have seen Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown is my favourite Quentin Tarantino. I mean, I, Jackie Brown's my second favourite. So, like, it's why when you said that, I was kind of like, is this going to work? Because this is my number one, that's your number two. That's it, your number one. I think it's, like, when he got into being, like, the biggest name in directing or whatever, that's why I started. Like, I don't like Kill Bill. I've seen, like, most of both of them, but I don't think either of them the whole way through. And then I haven't seen Hateful Eight. I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I haven't seen Death Proof. I've seen, if you can call it, half his movie uh, Dusk Till Dawn so yeah maybe I, I guess I'd seen and until now I hadn't seen Inglourious Bastards so I guess I've actually seen around half of his films you're missing like two of his worst ones so because yeah. I, I doubt Death Proof is going to be your cup of tea <laughs> Hateful Eight I can't comment on I'm, I am I generally toyed with the idea of doing it but then I remember that they like on Netflix it's a re-edited four episode miniseries ah. uh, which makes it even longer and I'm just like oh, do I really 
want to do that. Like, I love him, but, like, yeah. more of the movie that people say is kind of, like, his weakest is kind of, like, a, uh, I'm yeah. not sure if I'm into that. Um, I did really enjoy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know you have your own issues with kind of a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff from that movie is definitely bad. Um, I think it's that thing of, like, if I'm already predisposed to not like him when I hear things about the treatment of Bruce Lee and the stuff with women and everything, like, it's just gonna make my hatred burn more intensely, whereas if you don't have the same issues with him that I do, these things do happen to even people we like. Wes Anderson, I believe, is a supporter of Roman Polanski, which fucking sucks. Many people we know and admire are supporters of that rapist man. Yeah, so I hadn't seen this. I think a lot of people have told me they think it's his his best film. So you had to talk me into... Like, I knew there was going to be a Quentin film on the list. I mean, like, I've also said, like, we're not going to do Django. We're not going to do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, this will be the one that I make you watch. I watched the first ten minutes of Django and shut it off. (laughs) (laughs) I can't actually remember how Django starts. Like, most of my memories of Django are, like, when he's with... Oh, no, because Christopher Holtz is quite early in in Django. Yeah, so I knew it was coming. I knew there was going to be a Quentin film on the list. Like, I, I said very early when we were making these lists, I don't want anybody to just completely say, no, I refuse to do that if someone was passionate about a film. So I knew you were going to pick a Quentin film and I was just going to have to live with it. I think of the ones he's done in this decade, well, you know, I've seen most of Kill Bill 1 and 2. I have no interest in Death Proof. Like, this was obviously going to be the most palatable one for me. However, as a secondary wrinkle to this, I also don't like war movies. <laughs> so, you had quite the task on your hand. I also don't like long movies. And this is long as fuck. So... It is. I did have a conversation with my partner last night where I was just like, tomorrow's going to be fun because Matt's watching Inglourious Bastards. It's Tarantino, it's war, and it's long. And then she turned to me and said, well, it's not really a war film, is it? Yeah, I right. So, I'll, I'll say that right now. This doesn't have the aspect of a war movie that I don't like, so it gets a pass on that front. But it is, I will say, it didn't do anything to dissuade my thoughts of Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking. Okay. Even if it is in places milder than he can be at times. I mean, I think. Because you don't know what I think of it. I I withheld feedback from you until now. (laughs) I didn't actively hate it. And that's the thing. I'm not sitting there, I'm not saying he has no talent. I don't sit there being like, oh, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. There are obviously stretches of of all of his movies that I think, oh, that was really good. But overall, I think it's fine. I would never really want to see it again, and I wouldn't call it out as a remarkable film. But it That's has fine. it has some remarkable acting in it. But yes, it does. You're kind of close to what the critical reception was at the time where it came out. Like I think on Metacritic, it's got like a 69 out of 100. Yeah, on it's Metacritic. got a really good IMDb score and not such a great Metacritic score. And I was like, oh, I thought this was was revered. I hear people talking. No, about it, this. it's kind of it's kind of like a a reevaluation after the fact, like. It's kind of like a a film twitter kind of like opinion that's kind of come out of it like as opposed to like a one at the time like peter bradshaw the guardian gave it one star out of five wow um yeah <laughs> like, i would he, give it more than that but yeah he 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 absolutely hated it but i just remember I, so this was either my first or second 18 i saw in cinema it was either this or watchman was the year that i did it if you know my age you probably know that i snuck in to see it <gasps> when it came out I know I know I think this movie has three kind of perfect scenes because I mean it's actually quite an easy movie to break down because it does come with those little chapter headings five chapters that's how I've written it all down in my notes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I think that deals with several of the elements we normally do this was firmly chosen by you written and directed by Quentin Tarantino his only other movies this decade Kill Bill 1 and 2 and Grindhouse Death Proof I had to briefly read about what that meant that it's called Grindhouse Death Proof and I was like oh okay that's bullshit 
bullshit. Never mind. Don't just call it death proof. I also fucking hate Eli Roth. <laughs> Definitely not, definitely not apropos of nothing considering this movie. So this was released August 21st, 2009 in the US. We got it two days earlier in the UK. So Benjamin, you didn't mm-hmm. really go all in on the Oscars for 2009 last time, so why don't you do that and also just yeah. how this film performed. So first of all, we got to talk about how this was the first year of 10 Oscar nominations. Oh yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, was it Up or something like that that allegedly caused... No, no, it was Dark Knight. Oh, okay. It was Dark Knight not getting a nomination the year before and everyone kind of going at the academy just kind of go like fuck we can't <laughs> how can we expand it put in the popular ones exactly. and then not give so, them I mean, any awards <laughs> yeah well, the whole thing with this year is and it's it's quite fascinating here and we'll probably get more into it next episode where so they expand it to 10 nominations mm-hmm. and they do include some big movies on there like obviously avatars on this list mm. tarantino is making bigger movies at this point where he's actually making kind of like he makes strunge in 25 20 million dollars worldwide on this mm-hmm. movie which is definitely nothing to sniff at district nine is big blindside is kind of big in its own way well like there's actually quite a few high grosses I mean Up also is in that top 10 so like they're not they have done what they needed to do to expand it into kind of more blockbuster territory I think I mean even down to the point where like, I think Star Trek was heavily rumoured to like be within the running for a best picture first Star Trek is pretty good I think I, mean, I, I wouldn't give it a fucking Oscar but <laughs> no I think it was very much this kind of like well what is this going to mean going forward at the Academy Awards and then the winner of the best picture is The Hurt Locker which is the lowest grossing movie ever to have won an Oscar up to that point oh wow <laughs> yeah like like it's this crazy thing where like we do it to expand it to include billion grosses and stuff like that and then they give it to the tiniest movie that they've ever given an Academy Award to so let's run through the nominations you've got Avatar Blindside District 9 An Education Inglourious Bastards Hurt Locker Precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire mm-hmm. god what an awful title A Serious <laughs> Man which is fantastic probably would have been my Coen Brothers pick for this decade if we hadn't done No Country Up and Up in the Air which probably would have been your <laughs> Yeah. Right, we pick if we hadn't done if we hadn't done Juno. Yeah. Um, <laughs> up and up in the air, wow. Up and up in the air, yeah. And then obviously, I mean this this movie gets a whole host of nominations. Tarantino gets best director, he gets Christopher Watts gets best supporting, which he wins. There's a screen original screenplay nomination, there's sound mixing, sound editing, cinematography, film editing, blah blah blah, all those big awards. It wins one for acting. And the only Quentin film I don't know if it's ever, but to this point where an actor had won an award for a Quentin Tarantino movie. Chris, Christoph Waltz wins again for Django Unchained. Oh, okay. I think Leo should have won his Oscar for that movie, but that's neither here nor there. It's just Masterful they were split. Of racial slurs. It's the most fun that I've ever had Leo have in a movie. Yeah. Um, and all the movies that like he's normally nominated for, he's so grim and so dour. The fact that he won his Oscar for the movie where he's literally like mauled by a bear for two hours is just kind of... Torture-porning himself into an Oscar. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like, there's so many awards where he's having fun and he's like not even nominated for them because he wasn't nominated for Catch Me If You Can, was he? No. It's like, like there's performances I really like from Leo. Um, That's what I mean. I want him to go full Tom Cruise and do his Tropic Thunder cameo in something, you know? <laughs> just just really just do a silly fucking film. So Christopher Watts won for that one. Uh, in the UK, opening weekend, it grossed almost $6 million equivalent ahead of other such great movies as The Time Traveler's Wife, aka that movie where um, a guy masturbates in front of himself, G-Force, Aliens in the Attic, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Dance Flicks, oh. even a parody? I've like seen a... Dance Flick, yeah, it's a parody of all the dance films, like Step Up and all that that were coming out. From right, the just, people so just... who brought you Scary Movie. So I just clicked on it. It was in the UK for two weekends and then it dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I saw it for free on TV once. I was like, wow, this is not good. I'm not going to go any further because the next movie is G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, so... <laughs> 
that's the one where they tricked Joseph Gordon-Levitt into being in it. Yeah, exactly. I think Channing Tatum made him be in it, basically. But yeah, yeah, Channing Tatum made him be in it, and then they tricked Channing Tatum to be in the second one, even though they killed him off in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. At the point where Channing Tatum was now like an actual reputable movie star after Twenty One Jump Street, which is. Yes. Hilarious. Well, there you go. This is 153 minutes, as I said, long as shit. The original cut was over three hours. Thank you for editing it down, Quentin. As you said... Is, is, is that, no, no, Sally, uh, Sally Mankey. Yes, I believe her last Quentin Tarantino film that she edited. Yes. Yes. $322 million at the box office, off a $70 million budget. I believe that made it his biggest success since Pulp Fiction financially. He spent a decade working on the script. He is reported to have said that he thought it was his masterpiece in the making and he took open inspiration from the dirty dozen where eagles dare guns of navarone and of course the original inglorious bastards which is spelled correctly he was struggling to write the ending though so instead he made kill bill one and two and death proof and did some acting he considered turning this movie into a mini series once again i think it would have been better as a movie <laughs> but he ultimately did manage to cut the script down to a reasonable length and there are many 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 casting rumors and people who almost got parts the most prominent of which were Leonardo DiCaprio as Lander, but he was like, this person should probably speak German, which I think is a good call in a Nazi it's a very, movie. It's a very good call, and I think only makes the movie better, the fact that large stretches of this movie are done in actual language. Yes, I have that under miscellaneous, that uh, I am impressed that I think only a third of the dialogue is in English, and there's a 25 yeah. minute stretch. I think it's chapter two. There's no English, pretty much. But the whole thing where, like, they even do it in part one, where, like, he does the thing where, like, can we speak in English? Yes. And you think it's going to be one of those movies exactly. where, like, we'll do like, it start with we we'll start, But then the it pays convenient. off the end. Yeah, I will give him that. Like, it is impressive that he got this financed and released as a big movie where there's so little dialogue in English. That's one. Uh, Adam Sandler was up for Donnie, but had to go make funny people. I think he would have been so good as the bear Jew. Uh-huh. I just don't think that Eli Roth has the, like, physicality for it. Yeah. And I think Eli Adam Roth Sandler... looking unrecognisable. He looks like a knockoff Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Bobby Cannavale would have been better in this role, to be honest. Yeah, and Simon Pegg almost got Michael Fassbender's role. I have to assume that is because Quentin fucking loves Shaun of the Dead, as we mentioned on the Shaun of the Dead episode, but he was busy with Tintin. So there you go. Sam Levine replaced David Krumholtz as Hirschberg, Freaks and Geeks co-stars there. I do think it's very cool that they deliberately cast American Jewish actors as this unit of American Jewish soldiers plus Brad Pitt. Even if it is this whole thing where, like, I feel like that's where all the cuts from the movie are, is with the bastards. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's hilarious that this movie is called The Inglourious Bastards. Yeah. And Show me know, your wild unit that just go around <laughs> fucking scalping motherfuckers and stuff. Yeah, there is, there is one scene of that in the movie. Yeah. I do Roth. like the, like, very quick cutaways they do here and there, where it's like, they've been known to wear disguises, and then it's just them standing in the road, and they just shoot everyone <laughs> in the jeep and whatever. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. And I think that's where... If he had turned it into a miniseries, that stuff would have shone through, where you would have just seen them just going on random missions and stuff. But, you know, that he devotes so much of his screen time to Waltz and to the Shoshona character, who is great. Her story is fantastic, but yeah, it's but almost Mel- comes... Laurent, like, I, there are three acts in this I think are, like, mm. knocking out of the park in every single scene that they're in. It's, yeah. it's Melanie Laurent, it's Christopher Waltz, and it's Michael Fassbender. Yeah. And she had like, to this... talk him into casting her because he was like, I feel you're too famous. 
famous in your own country and I want to just <laughs> discover someone no one's heard of. And she's like, no, no, not at all. I mean, like this, I think this is the first time I saw Fassbender in a movie. Like, obviously he'd done a couple of things before this. Like he'd got like Hunger and all the rest. And he's in 300. So maybe I had seen him in 300 before this point. But this is what made me excited to see Fassbender in movies going forwards. His accent isn't terrible, unlike in X-Men. So there's that. <laughs> well, he just can't speak loud in an English accent is the problem. <laughs> right, let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Chapter one. So, in 1941, Colonel Hans Lander arrives at the dairy farm of one Pierre Lapedit, investigating an unaccounted for Jewish family from the area, and after several minutes, he is able to intimidate Pierre into giving up the family who are beneath his floorboards, and they murder all but one of the daughters, Shoshona, who uh, flees. I'm just going to say, I think we're going to disagree right here. I hate not being able to hear the dialogue over the music, even if the music is good in that opening bit. That There's a, there's like three points in this movie where like the music is like loud as fuck and you can't hear anything over it. And I don't know, I, it bothers me personally. You may really enjoy it as a... Um, I, I did notice it on this one where I was watching it, but then I also watch all the movies that we watch on subtitles anyway. So like... I... Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, I subtitled it. It's just just it was bothering me to experience like I'm yeah I'm not there. sure I'm not sure if it's an issue with the mix on the home video or if it's mm. on, uh, but I definitely was kind of like oh I'm this it's hard to actually hear some of the dialogue yeah, over this I thought it was intentional it's meant to be like a cacophony of sound to show the like panic of oh the Nazis are coming the Nazis are coming. it might be I mean I, I don't remember it bugging me in the cinema so it might just be that like he's one of those people who is like a cinema purist and so he might have mixed it for <laughs> those kind of sound systems I can't comment on that yeah. bit but right so complaint done now let's do a good thing just just generally Hans Lander, Christoph Waltz <laughs> just crushing it and there are quotes about I thought I'd written an unplayable character or something and then Waltz gave me my movie because his audition was so good and this is a a career defining performance a different kind of villain like he is scary but not in a traditional way he like kills people with kindness almost but he just drops in these like single sentences in amongst all these like apparent pleasantries that like have that sinister undertone to them just when he you know like he even later on when he's like i don't know he's talking to bridget near the end and he's like laughing he's like no but seriously how did you hurt your foot and it's like oh dude <laughs> and you know what this dude does for a living so it's like you know the tension is is baked in but quite does a phenomenal job here and in a couple of other places of just really ramping that tension up of just like how long will you draw this out just of him just ostensibly being like really nice and like oh can I trouble you for some milk and oh this is your house and oh this and this and this (laughs) saying oh I've reached the limits of my French which I'm very clearly speaking fluently and then to continue would just embarrass us both so would you mind terribly if we we switch to English and yeah as you said I thought this was going to be the convenient like oh here we go now the rest of the movie's in English. But it does play into the scene remarkably well when he does convince him to give them up and he's like given that I've heard no one moving I assume they don't speak English and then he switches them back to French and has him go along with it and it's I know it's on purpose that they almost are like bombarding you with tension to make you feel as uncomfortable as this man would but I think this scene is it's like 16 straight minutes isn't it? Like, yeah it's, I mean, again like you go into this movie and like I understand 
understand your complaints about Tarantino dialogue scenes where like sometimes it does sound like he just likes the sound of his own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what I like in this movie is that he weaponizes all of the dialogue scenes mm-hmm. by just every single dialogue scene that's about just utter banality has this just sinister undercurrent under Absolutely. all of it. And I think it's why I love the kind of like the three conversation scenes in this movie. And I think they're all mm-hmm. utterly wonderful and they all highlight a different actor in them. And obviously this this scene is entirely Christoph Watts scenes. So what, at this point he's a, a German TV actor and director I think like he's done a lot of like TV stuff and he directs some of those things and yeah he just gets picked up for this off the back of not hiring Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and within five minutes of the scene he is the most captivating actor you've like ever laid, eye- laid eyes on that you've yeah. never heard of before um, he's just I, getting I, work constantly in Oscar bait and deservedly so like yeah if... I mean like so I mean like what was the first thing that you saw him in because obviously you, de- you never saw this movie so like he must have kind of just appeared like was it Green Hornet or <laughs> no like... I didn't see Green Hornet I really don't know I couldn't tell you like I you know I saw clips of him in this going around like everyone was raving about him in this and similarly in Django so like I feel I saw a lot of him through that I really can't remember the first like full film I was saw it was it Spectre would it be Spectre I really hope it isn't but maybe <laughs> <laughs> the last thing is a lot of the stuff he's done is like he's done Carnage which I can't imagine you've seen because Polanski no. uh, Django Unchained Zero Theorem Horrible Bosses 2 I've Big Eyes Horrible Bosses 2 <laughs> so it might have been Horrible Bosses 2 but like that yeah it's this whole thing where like that's depressing <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, even if you look at the people who he's nominated against, he's up against Matt Damon for Invictus, which he's actually doing a really good accent in somehow. Yes. Woody Harrelson, The Messenger, Christopher Plummer, The Last Station, and Stanley Tucci in The Lovely Bones. And I think it was just so clear from the start of this Oscar season that it was going to go to Christoph Waltz. Yeah, I think it's like genuinely the most exciting performance in any movie in this year. Yeah, and one of the best performances we've seen doing this podcast, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sent you my like mock-up list of like my favorite performances of this, and like three of my favorite performances this decade are like the three sequential winners to Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards. Hmm. It's it's Anton Jigar, it's The Joker, and then it's Hans Lander. Yeah. Uh, just these three villainous performances, year after year, win the Academy Award. and yeah. the th- Probably the three best villain performances of that decade, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. Um, like, I, can't, I can't think of anything else that is stronger than them. Yeah. And again, this entire scene is just, he's kind of asking questions, he's kind of going like, let me just ask you where they live, mm-hmm. what the next family members are. Like, it's utterly banal up until the point where he goes, I can help you if you just tell me where they are. Like, nothing bad will happen to you. We'll just go go away. Yeah, you'll be rewarded. The German military will not interfere with you for the entire rest of our occupation of France. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, on some level, you want to hate the farmer for giving him up. Like, that is the simple, like, easy, like, oh, I wasn't, you know, in hindsight type bullshit to be like, oh, fuck you for giving them up. But it's like, you know, you're not there in the room with these threats, putting your life at risk, putting your daughter's <laughs> lives at risk. Him now one of his three daughters who has no lines but yeah <laughs> this is an infinitely larger topic that is being discussed in in like history classrooms as we speak i object to the slander of the good name of rats here as, as a rat owner <laughs> they are not filthy at all they're very lovely cute little animals but i do like that he does the thing where it's just like i, I don't know it, it is slander but it's yes his, like, i i don't know how i feel about them doing this job of like trying to rationalise out the hatred of the Jews. I don't think, I, I don't I get think he's that trying to rationalise it. I think it's just, this is just how he thinks. I, I, I realise and also, like, you kind of do need to do that for your character that is on the side of the Jew haters to, like, people at the time would have 
had to have talked themselves into like this is why we're doing this and like I appreciate you have to but then it's also that thing it, it's the same as like when he writes slurs into stuff and it's like okay this character may use them but then also you had to write this and I, I don't know just somewhere in there it's, it, it, it it's, is definitely a it's on a tightrope but the um, thing is I think I think this movie is I mean obviously like Django Unchained is a lot more controversial when it comes to the topic of <laughs> racial slurs <laughs> but I do enjoy this movie kind of makes a point and goes like yeah but no one is a Nazi should ever get to go through life and not not be a Nazi again like is one of the most pointed things that this movie does it's like it doesn't matter if you mm. repent or do something that's like normally good or helps people at the end of the day I have some thoughts on that that we'll get to I thought he was going to shoot Shoshana from like an unrealistically far away distance with a pistol I'm glad that that was not a scene that was filmed and he instead just you know is like farewell or like, right. yeah, goodbye. I think he yells au revoir the little things I love about this scene is uh, I love when he brings out the fucking massive pipe <laughs> yeah the Sherlock Holmes pipe yeah and just starts smoking on that it's great I love the point about halfway through when like it is just a banal conversation like there is nothing much happening he's just asking about these Jews and you don't know for certain whether or not he's here for a reason or if you're just watching this whole thing and then the camera pans underneath and you see this entire family looking horrified <laughs> and it just it, it like obviously you realise they must be showing me this scene for a reason but then they take so long to actually show you what that reason is and yeah. oh everything... I think it's pretty clear like before you I, even I, see I them think, under there that this guy is. is hiding them yeah I think it is but I like that they don't confirm it yeah for yeah. a long time like this scene goes on for about eight minutes before they confirm that they are in fact what do you, how would you have felt if they didn't show you the family under the floorboards and it was literally just you see her escaping and you see him shooting floorboards like would that have taken away from it arguably like it might have removed some of the tension from the earlier parts but I do mm. think that you you get the payoff of the reveal of Shoshana kind of like emerging from underneath the floorboards covered in blood and you get like this horrifying moment where like he, they were correct they didn't just shoot up this man's floorboards for no reason whatsoever and like him being like I have to let my men come in here and they will find anything if it isn't unless you give me a reason for them not to and it's like, oh, like it's the whole killing him with kindness thing where he is presenting himself as perfectly polite but you know that this is a monster like and, and pressing him for their ages and then when he's like I don't know and he just he makes that little gesture he's like roughly come on and it's like yeah. I, I do want an answer from you but I will be friendly about it and yeah this, and, this yeah. I mean it's, it's just he's so good from scene one minute one and he's so magnetic and yeah I don't have enough good words to say about this performance yes um, that and we can agree on uh, undoubtedly that is him and I think Shoshana's entire storyline I think are like faultless entirely like perfect writing and, and acting and, and all of that it's some of the other stuff from ugh, but that's fair enough we move on to chapter 2 which is my yes. least favourite portion of the movie <laughs> yes so Adolf Hitler is interrogating a soldier who was spared by Lieutenant Aldo Rain and the Inglorious Bastards who are a unit of Jewish Americans dedicated to slaughtering Nazis so we start this by seeing Brad Pitt giving the one of the more famous scenes in the movie like the one that was in all the trailers like you see like clips of this like we're here to kill Nazis and all, you know his like borderline like erotic description of how much they're going to kill Nazis and stuff and it's like okay I get it it's very difficult to argue because obviously they're Nazis <laughs> but like the degree to which Quentin Tarantino was like yeah I want to make a film where we just incredibly violently murder Nazis it's like I can't 
argue, but it is also a bit fucked up that you're doing this that. Is, yeah, this is the most Tarantino-y section. Like, anything involving the bastards is the most Tarantino-y section, where, like, the violence ramps up about 500% whenever yes. the bastards are on screen. I mean, like, I, I would say that I think Brad Pitt's really good. I think it's also a more comedic performance than anyone else is giving in this movie. It's the most kind of, like, objectively funny thing that they're doing. Like, he has yeah. more jokes that are less about building tension. Yeah. Like, the entire sequence where, like, he has to speak Italian or oh, sorry Italian like, <laughs> I, is... I speak the most Italian <laughs> C <laughs> it, it's weird that he's top build he's ostensibly like comic relief and just all the kind of B-movie tendencies that Tarantino has are kind of like at the forefront of any of these scenes yeah. very like... very big of Brad Pitt to put aside his evidential disdain for Harvey Weinstein from his own girlfriend at the time's account to go be in a movie by Harvey Weinstein <laughs> uh, such as his love of Quentin Tarantino who pitched him the movie at the chateau that he and Angelina Jolie lived in in France. All very, just what a lovely time that must have been. And, uh, um, and, and he's probably going to win another Oscar later on this year. Probably. I think he's at the forefront of like yeah. the Sporting Act nominations. I, for. I think it's a good performance from Brad Pitt. I just, I'm like, dude, you of all people should not be on Yeah, no, I, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I, 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 I think he is good. I, I, the, the Pete Bradshaw interview says that it's the most uncharismatic wooden performance that Brad Pitt's ever given in his career. Career. It's got so much like flavour to it that he. I, I think he normally plays quite like not serious, but just sort of like I don't know how to describe it. Almost, he plays a lot of like quite nihilistic characters, or, or it's either that or it's Rusty from Ocean's Eleven, and this has got <laughs> such a like got such flavour to it when he's talking about his past as a bootlegger and like if it seems too good to be true, it ain't and all that. You know, yeah, it's it's good stuff. The the Hitler performance. I feel is, I think it is very on-the-nose mockery of history's greatest monster, undoubtedly. Who the, f- I'm not gonna sit here and fucking defend Hitler, but Leon, like, they're sort of making him come across as silly, I think is, like, part of Quentin's entire, like, I'm gonna make a fucking anti-Nazi movie and I'm gonna have such great fun with it, and they're having this, like, hysterical Hitler wearing a cape, like, jumping up and down and shouting and everything. The Hugo Stieglitz montage is very fun, when they put his name on the screen and then, like, show you him like murdering these 13 is it Gestapo officers or just like high ranking uh, I think it's like a mix of them both I yeah. mean like Til, Til Schweiger is someone that I, I do quite enjoy he's done mm. some absolute shit in his career he yeah. was Jack Carver in Uwe Boll's Far Cry movie oh, um <laughs> I remember it was like I can't remember what the movie was but it was the movie that we were shown in German class to like learn German because he's like native, obviously like native German done a lot of kind of German comedy movies yes um, and uh, he he said he would never wear a Nazi uniform in his acting career and he only agreed to do it here because his part was a prolific Nazi murderer so I mean because I, I love that he play. just put the Nazi uniform he looks so profoundly uncomfortable the entire yep. time like he, he is just like I do not want to fucking be here mm-hmm. which is a great kind of like sub-element to that yep. scene but we're not um, on that one yet how do we feel about Samuel L. Jackson doing what two scene, two instances of narration and it's not I mean, that's, present that's, that's, anywhere else that is Tarantino to a T I mean at this point I think the only movie that Samuel L. Jackson hasn't been in that Tarantino's directed are 
Reservoir Dogs and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's this entire stretch in the middle. And so even to the point where, like, in Kill Bill Volume 2, he's, like, the piano player in the wedding flashback. And that's all he's got to do in those movies. I just kind of think there are two movies here. There's a very serious Oscar-y movie that is entirely just about Shoshana and Alanda. And then there is this ridiculous Quentin Tarantino quasi-comedy movie with the bastards and the, the on-screen text and the narration. And it's like, these don't... I'm not saying they don't mesh, but they are almost at odds with each other. And, like, yeah, he I, can't I think... go full Quentin because he's making this actually serious grown-up movie over here. So it's like... Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I, I will make my argument at the end. I kind of... I tweeted about, like, my opinion on the kind of the final twist of this movie and how I think and what I think about what it does and I think it does manage to make the more Tarantino-esque elements of the bastards kind of like pay off in the end but I can't disagree that like it does feel like they are two fundamentally different movies and the three bits of the movie that I really enjoy are all the ones that are kind of the more serious tension building moments yeah. as opposed to the <laughs> I don't want to see him make it, but I do want to see a mini series about this unit by someone else almost. But then it's like this is the this is the Tarantino stuff. Like if that mini series existed, I think Samuel L. Jackson would have narrated every episode and stuff. Yeah, um, it would, and I mean, you would have got it, it, one it, of these montages for everyone on the team or whatever. Do we want to run down who played the bastards? <sighs> B.J. Novak. B.J. Novak. As the, as the sole survivor, almost. <laughs> Eli Roth. I mean, uh, so Till Schweiger and Gideon Burkhart as the the, the two German-born native ones. Uh, B.J. Novak, Omar Doom, Sam Levine, Paul Rust uh, of Love. Oh, yeah, 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 Paul Rust. He, is, he must have no dialogue, because I saw yeah. afterwards he's in it, and I was like, I dispute that, but I'm sure he's just standing <laughs> I, I saw him on the screen, but it's this thing where like, I remember when this movie came out, and they were listing all these people who were playing these roles, and I was like, B.J. Novak is taking time off the office to yes, go shoot Ryan went to movie. Thailand <laughs> so that he could go and be in this movie. For two scenes? Yeah, and he gets like the final scene in the movie I'm like what I know he's just stood there being the only one I recognise easily who isn't <laughs> speaking and then he gets the final fucking scene yeah so yeah, and then I mean so Omar Doom Eli Roth and BJ Novak are like the only three bastards that actually get like much to do everyone else is kind of like literally nothing funny how they're all like writers and directors huh yeah the whole right so you hear about the bear Jew from Hitler before you see him they are interrogating a a Nazi and they're like tell me where the snipers are tell me how many there are and he's like fuck you never like and like I will die for my country and then he's like you hear that sound and it's like the sound of a baseball bat against the inside of a tunnel or something and you he taps this thing 27 fucking times <laughs> uh, twice as many as those were necessary in my opinion and they really draw all this out and then he comes out and it's like yeah he looks beefier than Eli Roth normally does but you're expecting this like huge huge dude yeah i think like, I, don't, I don't know whether or not it works or not like i think it would be better if it's adam sandler emerging from that cave just yeah. because i think like it's that thing where like i, I do think it would have subverted expectations that little bit more yeah and um, he almost got is... too big like i understand he felt the need to beef up to play this role but it's like it's you're not big enough that this is like oh he's a bear but you're too big to be like oh he's the bear <laughs> yeah i think i think the two things that i really enjoy about it are he does look weedier than you're expecting mm-hmm. and then when he talks and afterwards it's in this kind of like high-pitched Teddy fucking Williams. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's not kind of like this kind of like deep berry voice. It's just this kind of like Jewish New Yorker voice that 
I know it's, it's just this quite amusing kind of thing. Like, yeah, like the, the the difference between what the Germans are expecting him to be and then what we're actually meeting in this yeah. scene. To the point where I think after this, Eli Roth is pretty much silent for a lot of the movie after this. Until the, the final, yeah, yeah. Him beating him to death with a baseball bat is legitimately disgusting. I know he's killing a Nazi and we should all be like, yeah, kill Nazis, but over the top, in my opinion. It was just quite a funny reaction because like my, my partner doesn't like kind of like on-screen violence that's done in kind of a, an exploitative kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just like, well, I know what's coming up and I'm just like, right, you might want to look away when he goes to the baseball bat. And then she, but she doesn't react fast enough and goes, oh, it wasn't that bad when like he hits him with the bat and then the scene goes on for like this overhead shot of them just completely pummeling his head into a pulp mm-hmm. and then she was oh no this got infinitely worse yes. like after that first hit I'm with her. Eli Roth, when talking about getting into the mindset of the bear Jew, said, being in wool underwear will make you want to kill anything. And also, in a separate interview, said his girlfriend secretly added some Hannah Montana music onto his iPod, and when he listened to it, it inexplicably made him able to tap into the violent nature. Eli Roth is a fuckboy, quite frankly. Oh yeah, I hate girly things, it makes me want to kill people. It's a whole deal. And then they scar Schwastika into the head of the only survivor, who is the one that goes and briefs. Hitler. Now, the points he's making about you shouldn't get to take this uniform off and get to just slip back into society and no one knows what you did. I understand that. And if you knowingly signed up to be a Nazi knowing what the Nazis are, yes. But there were very much people just involved in the war on the German side who didn't agree with the stuff that was being done but didn't want to be killed themselves so did just go along with what was happening and I'm not saying I think it's similar to the like oh you shouldn't give up the Jews under the floorboards thing it's easy to fucking say that it's very different when it's like you can't just be like well you should just stand up and like refuse to join up it's like it's easy for you to say you're not in the situation and I think Germany's like handling of their own history in the decades since is infinitely more mature than the USA and Russia and China's fucking handling of the things they have done in war and they are deeply embarrassed about what has happened and have all these laws about Nazi like symbols and stuff and I just some part of me is like this isn't really helping global relations on some level like the people that still are like every German is a Nazi I hold World War II against them to this day. On some level, it's that to me. But again, I'm like, I feel like I'm arguing in favour of the Nazis, which I'm obviously not doing. But I don't know, it just comes across a little bit blurring that line of like, all Germans from 1940, whatever, are and should be murdered. It's like, not necessarily true, but... If you want to see a very interesting movie on this subject, Terence Malick's A Hidden Life, about the real-life story of Franz Jägerstatter, is about literally a, a German citizen who refuses to, jo- to pledge allegiance to the Nazis. Like, he says he will join the third... Like, he will join the army, the German army, yeah. but he will not pledge allegiance to Hitler and the Third Reich. I guess that um, is a is a distinction is that like the actual nazi party was much smaller than the combined like the german like military force and like there were members of i like i did once upon a time know all of this front and back i did history but you know the sa and the ss and it's like i think everyone in the ss was automatically a nazi but then like everyone in the sa wasn't necessarily and i think and... i think the, the the distinction is like you to join the german armed forces you have to pledge allegiance to adolf hitler and the third reich mm-hmm. which to some people means that you are immediately complicit and that this guy that this movie's made about which is really good it's three hours long matt never watch it um 
like it ends with him being executed in 1943 for his beliefs. But the entire movie is about the kind of like the the, the principle that this man had and how he basically was removed from history in a lot of ways until kind of like much later on when people were starting to look back to it. And it is this kind of like dichotomy of was every person who pledged allegiance to the Third Reich bad? Possibly not, but mm. there were still people out there that had stronger beliefs and decided that they were going to make that stand. And maybe if more people had done that, yeah. we would it wouldn't have resulted in the mess that it was. But the, like you could, this movie is very much kind of like making a point that like because it becomes in this stage of the movie where like it is only these kind of like comic characters doing it i think there is a level of kind of tarantino's b-movie sensibilities where it's not supposed to be a a clever indictment of the nazi party yeah um, at that point but i yeah. can definitely see why you'd be uncomfortable with this kind of like just torture of this person yeah and just tarring every german from this era with it like because again there is this idea when you boil it down to just the bullet points of what happened in this time it's very easy to assume that hitler came out before he was elected and just gave the full manifesto of yes I'm going to gas all these Jews and he didn't do that this all crept in gradually so it's easy to be like oh you signed up knowing everything that this man was but like he peppered that in as they went along like day one of the war wasn't we're going to kill all the Jews but this is uh, 1941 1944-ish so yeah I guess that stuff was starting to come in but yeah it's a very difficult topic (laughs) yeah and I I see why Tarantino does it I think it pays off better at the end than this one This, this is this feels to me like a writing exercise in mm. like we're going to introduce this thing that is going to come up later and I think the later deployment of it is a lot more effective in kind of like what it means to the movie's kind of point of view yeah, um, yeah. right let's move into chapter three I think the second best chapter in the movie <laughs> so it's 1944 and Shoshana from the beginning uh, has taken on an alias that I forgot to write down but she Emmanuel Mimiu that's it. And she is operating a cinema. Are they in Paris or is it just somewhere? Yes, they're, in, they're right. in Paris. They're a, just in a smaller smaller cinema outside of Paris that yes. isn't the Ritz. A Parisian small independent cinema and she is harassed not in the like Nazi way but in the like I am romantically interested in you unwarrantedly <laughs> by a legendary German sniper and minor national celebrity, Frederick Zola who Joseph Goebbels is making a film about and he convinces is Goebbels because he's taken a shine to quote unquote Emmanuel Emmanuel to have the film premiere moved from the Ritz to her cinema so she starts a plot to burn the thing to the ground and kill them all while they're there <laughs> go her I think the opening you know him approaching her and trying to strike up a conversation about like actors of the time I am sure all the film nerds got a massive kick out of this stuff I mean yeah this, this is 100% like Tarantino kind of like wanking off about his film history knowledge <laughs> <laughs> like like it, this this is Tarantino stroking his like his head at this point. He's kind of like yes, yes, yeah. I know enough about the 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 propaganda movies of the of the nineteen forties. I'm a student of film history. Yes, is this. Daniel Brawls, is this how he started getting Western roles out of this? Like, was he a known entity in Hollywood before this role? Um, because I, I was mean, surprised at how small it is in some ways. Yeah, I mean, he's got kind of like, he's been in Goodbye Lenin, which he obviously got a lot of attention for. But I think this was kind of like, I'm not sure if it's his first English language performance, but it's definitely his kind of like first big English language film yeah. that he's done. And I say English language film when this movie is done almost entirely in German. I don't think he actually says much in English at all throughout this. Uh, no, um, they're speaking French, aren't they? Oh, they are speaking French. Yeah, yeah but then... speaking, it's kind of like dual English French for a lot of it. English French, German French. 
Yeah, because this is um, the chapter where there is no English, I believe. Yeah, and then I mean, I, but then it's obviously a couple of years until he does Rush. So like, it's like this is 2009. He goes back to doing kind of like more kind of European cinema, and then Rush is 2013. It starts with just him trying to strike up a conversation with a pretty girl outside of cinema, and she's like, "Dude, fuck off!" And then he walks past a cafe or a, or a bar that she's sitting in and reading, and you know the classic men bothering women that are trying to just live their lives. And then we get the whole like, "Oh, it's you." can I have your autograph and it just came to mind that thing that people on Twitter do where they're like where a guy is like shooting his shot as it were and like all these strangers that don't know him are like oh dude thanks for lending me that three grand and oh thanks for doing this for me and thanks for that it's like oh no please you're embarrassing me in front of the lady I'm trying to score with and you get this insane story about him facing down 300 enemies from atop a bell tower and he killed like over half of them in three days and then the rest just left but I love that bit where he goes like I can killed this many which is a big number to kill yeah yeah on, on the first one. day and then i killed 150 of them on the second day it's like i don't believe you but sure and it, it's made him this like star for the nazis because he he's done all this and like you know goebbels you know depending on which historians you ask goebbels arguably worse than hitler maybe either way very 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 bad man and the actor they have playing him here is doing it suitably horrifically both in the things he is saying and the way he behaves socially because they pick her up from outside her cinema and like escort her away and it's to this restaurant and and to meet Goebbels and to be told yeah your cinema's gonna host this movie and yeah what, what i quite enjoy is that like all the actors they have playing kind of like real life historical figures in that you've got so it's sylvester growth as goebbels martin wutke as adolf hitler and rod taylor as winston churchill kind of like the three big ones that, like you should know what these people look like if you've studied history especially this history of any time yeah. and i feel like they've kind they're not of quite right <laughs> yeah that's the thing is they're they're kind of a little bit off like they're not it's it's nothing like rod taylor's performance is nothing like how he's performed in the darkest hour or um, any other things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, like you normally make a point of it. If you're going to get someone playing these characters, you normally get someone big. And this movie makes the choice of going like, we're just going to get someone who can do the accent, looks a little bit like them, but they're only here for like authentic flavoring as opposed to the point of this movie is not Hitler. The point of this movie is not Churchill. The point of this movie is kind of like everyone else. Yeah, And uh, I think it also contributes to the whole weird alternate history thing that they're going for in that they're, they're slightly... They're just off enough where you're like, hmm, okay. I think I think they're they certainly point to them in the crowd. There's Goering as well, but I don't know if you ever see him up close. And, yeah, um, like that you you kind of get the, the the thing that he does where it's just like, look, we also need to point out that these two people here who are also high ranking Nazi <laughs> officials are like also in the audience. So yeah, you need all four to end the war tonight. And just the way Goebbels like, it's not just that he's saying shit. Like, yeah, the Americans doing well at athletics is all from like slave sweat or whatever. Or, or yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not just the horrific things. It's also that just like he has absolutely no social like manners, at, like just talking over people and interrupting and just being a prick. Like it's the it's the multifaceted horror of him. <laughs> and then Lander arrives, and, and you have in the you know Zola throughout this is trying to like be the nice reasonable Nazi, and we'll have the turn at the end. But you know, and then Lander arrives and completely changes the entire dynamic of the room. It was already tense because she didn't know what they were doing when they picked her up in the car she is sitting opposite like the number two or the number three depending on what i can't remember what time period he 
became like the number two, but yeah. And then, oh, here's the man that murdered my family and has potentially been looking for me all these years. And I love that they do the slow zoom in on her face as people are talking above her. Yeah, the opening bits of this scene aren't that tense. It's just her being disdainful of Goebbels and Zola and and his translator, or like a Goebbels translator. And I, but I also love that kind of like they swap between these languages and you understand like who can understand who at certain moments because yeah. the only two people there that understand both sides of the conversation are the translator and Zola because he's fluent in both German and French. And it's just this this really good, it's not tense, it's kind of funny, like you get the cutaway to Goebbels having sex with this translator. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I which, forgot about that, yeah. It's infinitely more comedic, but also she's not having any shit, she's just kind of going like, I don't care, I don't want to be here. And then Lander shows up and Melody de Ronde just kind of knocks out the park the moment he shows up and the dialogue is going on and just her face reacting to this thing where like, I need to compose myself because I don't know if he knows who I am. I don't know if he recognises me. Would he recognise me? We don't know if he had a photo or anything like that. And <laughs> yeah. oh, She's so good. She's amazing. Everyone clears out and she's suddenly, she's just been left alone with Lander and you just have this thing of like, does he know? And like, he doesn't, I don't think. I don't know if he ever knows. I, I assume he doesn't ever know. I mean, Bussing is he says things where he goes like, uh, what will I have? I'll, I'll have, I'll oh, have. She'll have milk. She'll have milk. It's that kind of thing. And I, I doesn't he go like, oh, you seem familiar or there's, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. else where he goes like, they hinted it, but like they He's never. Like, I have one more question for you. I don't remember what it was. But it's like, <laughs> oh him ordering like German food in Paris and being like it's not bad here you know because there's you know most other countries don't make another country's oh, national like, dish very well the strudel oh, also, is great ah wait for the cream la creme yeah that's the stuff where it's like he's being nice but then there is that like hey and also like I believe at the time this would have been made using pork and she if she is Jewish that's obviously not kosher and you know it's like it's all adding to like does he know and then you know grilling her about the cinema grilling her about having a black employee insisting that she runs the projection tonight and everything and then when he leaves and she finally does that big gasp because she handles it all so fucking well like and then just showing that trauma after he's actually left the room yeah. and she's safe to react it's like so so good and so then, good again like it's, I think it's the only extended scene that these two get in the movie and yeah. they're both superb yeah, yeah and then like after she's shown them around and she goes to Marcel her black employee and like they hatch this plan and it's like this really niche fact about like the nitrate film that they bring Samuel L. Jackson in again for and they show this like archive footage of like you can't get on a bus with this like it'll blow up like okay I get it Quentin you're a film uh, nerd fun fact Melanie Laurent's pe- uh, father is the voiceover artist for Ned Flanders in the French version of The Simpsons <laughs> great Chapter 4, we meet Lieutenant Archie Hickox. Hickox? Hickox. Something like that. Who is brought before Winston Churchill and Mike fucking Myers. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I can't hear past the Austin Powers voice. Like, he's good. It's just I can't hear past the Austin Powers voice. It's such a bizarre thing. I I, I think this is the role that some people thought that Simon Pegg was going for, but they confirmed later on that it wasn't. It was the Fassbender role. Fassbender, yeah, yeah. Like, there was a lot of rumours about, like, who who, who he was going to be and who he was replacing because mm. I think that there might have been someone else there was but the behind the scenes movie is like kind of a total mess in terms of like names coming up and then disappearing without yeah. context of who they were going to be and like Mike Myers like he is of British descent obviously he is Canadian but yeah like I think that's why he can 
do the passable Shrek voice and, and, and the passable Austin Powers voice. Like, there are way worse faux English accents out there by Americans. But um, I love that, like, he, that Fassbender levels up his English accent to kind of battle <laughs> with Mike Myers. Because, like, we know we know now what Fassbender sounds like. And obviously he done English language stuff before this. But, like, yeah. for someone who's going into this as, like, this is potentially his first exposure to Fassbender, it's so heightened. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, this dude's Irish as fuck, man. Yeah, so he is briefed on Operation Kino, wherein the Allies are planning on attacking the Ritz, where this film is going to be. So he has to go and rendezvous with the Bastards, with Bridget von Hammersmark, who is a famous actress in Germany and anti-Nazi, so she helps the Allies. The meeting does not go well, everybody dies, almost, but let's talk about it in depth. Everyone says how good Fassbender is in this, and I'm not <laughs> saying he's bad, but is it just that no one had heard of him before, and he just comes in here with this, like, big showy role and does quite well? Because I wouldn't call this one of the, like, three most noteworthy acting performances in this film, but... I think he is my number three, and okay. preci- it's precisely because there's little things about it where I just love the things where, like, August Deal's character comes in and kind of goes, like... I can't place your accent. Oh, and that's because... really, really good. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I... it's and it's this whole thing where like he's still doing this kind of like because obviously Fassbender is Jewish, born in Germany, and he's got German parentage. Yeah, and his first language was actually German. <laughs> yeah, so so but like the thing is, I I think I just love that like even if you're listening, you can tell that he is inflecting his German with a British accent. I think he had to speak with a coach about basically doing a bad German accent because he yeah. could do a, an authentic one, and he had to make it sound like someone doing an accent, but like not so bad it's obvious, but bad enough that it rings a bit false. <laughs> and yeah. it's like and, this and is think, so multi-layered. I, think, I know, and yeah, I think you can hear it. And it's like all these little things that I really love about this scene, and I love. Of the bit where like you can tell his rage and the little things where like he's the, the fake laugh he does with Diane Kruger at yeah. the, when and, like, the trying play. to make this dude go away without blowing it and it's just like yeah this is probably the most multi-headed one of like the my three favorite scenes because this is the, the final one of like these tension building scenes that are just long conversations between actors and I think this one is a triple header of like August Steele, Diane Kruger Michael Fassbender and to a lesser extent kind of like Till Schweiger and Gideon Burkhart kind of like off to the side but it's it's those three that you're focusing on the entire time and I, they're all so good I really appreciate that like like they have to trick the like rank and file soldiers first while they're playing this like just racism filled guessing <laughs> you know where you've got to write a name on a card and guess who you are and all that shit and just how much racism of, of, of every angle towards Native Americans towards yeah, so the, black the, people the first, the first one is is an Native American and then the one that they give to to Hellstrom is King Kong King Kong, is King Kong and then there's also the like actual Indian not Native American Indian uh, there's some stuff there where they're, they're doing like fake belly dancing it's like yeah just to remind you these are fucking Nazis <laughs> they managed to get it all past them and it's like oh we're old friends and, and, and all this and then like they go away and they've like passed for German and then the major in the SS comes around the corner and it's like he's a little bit sharper than the rest and like he's like that he calls one of them Frankfurt and one of them like, he's, like, he's like Frankfurt Berlin and like he just it might be Hamburg, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But he's like he's like calling them where he can tell they're from. And then he's like, but you? And they make up this like elaborate story about where he's from and like it resolves for a moment, but he won't go away. He wants to sit there and talk. Yeah, this and... is this is an officer's table. I want to spend time with, with people. I, I'm here for whatever reason. He's just here on a night off. And then these other Germans are here because they're celebrating the birth of the, the private's um, son. His son Max, yes. <laughs> His son Max. And, and it's just, I just love like, all the 
the build-up to this scene where like one problem gets resolved and then there's just another problem that they have to deal with. Yeah, it just keeps um, ramping up and you're like, how are you going to get out of this? And ultimately they don't, which absolutely stunned me when I saw it. I was like, oh, is he done already? <laughs> but, you know, they give him this really meaty scene uh, and, yeah, just this quiet, again, the quiet tension. Like, no music, just this tense dialogue and knowing the situation they're in and if they get caught, they will all be killed and it just, they think they've gotten rid of him and then he just keeps staying and then the, he's given away by the fucking three fingers in the yeah. air. Like, such a tiny detail. That someone that high ranking in in the Gestapo would notice. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And it, that's the thing, I appreciate they're not making them all idiots, you know, like that it's, they were very fucking good at this at finding people and, and, and like, there's a reason they got as far as they did, they weren't inept. And, and like, seeing the, this, this scene playing out and you're like, when is he gonna find him out? He's gotten away with the voice thing and gotten away with how they know each other and why they're here and like, what are you doing in France? He's like, oh, do you know every German in France? He's like, all the ones worth knowing. And it's like, <laughs> while they've resolved that slightly, it is still like, dude, I would know about you. <laughs> yeah, um, like you, you are too high up, too higher ranking to like do this, yeah. especially someone who's in to be escorting Bridget von Hammersmark. Yeah, why um, is there a German captain here escorting a film star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like when they start actually pulling the guns on each other and he says i'm a real frederick zola at this rate like it's a really nice piece of like attention to the world they're building where yeah. they're like hammering home yes he is famous like for doing this but i love that that, that then obviously hickox then kind of goes like oh well, i hope you don't mind i'm just gonna go out speaking the queens um, <laughs> yes it just, it, just this flip immediately and yeah this is this is what i think this is the scene that i think of most when i think about this movie even if i do think that the two involving christoph waltz are better this is the one that i keep coming back to i think this is the kind of like the scene from this movie that is kind of most brought up because it's the most hermetically sealed away from the rest of the plot. Like, yeah, because it seems so just sort of oh, you just have to meet up with them and then your actual mission will begin. But then his mission never fucking does begin <laughs> because he's just yeah. out of it. But it's just like it seems so. You know, you're just meeting someone, and even that goes horrifically wrong. And it's and it's it's kind of funny that like this is almost the lowest stakes one of these, and it's the only one that goes truly. Oh, I guess they all die at the beginning except Shoshana, <laughs> but that it goes so dramatically wrong when it's supposed to be the easiest one of these. Yeah, I was stunned that Fassbender just bites it, because I'd heard all this buzz about him in this, and I was like, I don't think he's bad in the two scenes he's in, it's just I was expecting him to be, like, the final, like, big pillar of the movie, and it's like, no, you just show up and fail to do the rendezvous, but you do get Bridget to the bastards. And it's like, yeah, it's 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 crazy, and, and also the two German-born members of the bastards dying in this scene as well, so it's like, there go your one that can pass for German because that was yeah, part I, of the I, plan. I, I, do, I do want to call out Till Schweiger. We mentioned it earlier. His like uncomfortableness during the scene because they're yes. wearing the Nazi uniforms. Um, but he's just he, he's so good every time they cut to him for a comedic thing because obviously Till Schweiger is a comedic actor by trade. Yeah. And, and when so they just... ma- when the major makes him move so he can have his chair as well, <laughs> it's just like oh dude, please don't just stab him. I <laughs> yeah. oh, see later on where he's just like sharpening his knife. And he's like he doesn't seem very loquacious. And he's like is that what you want? The loquacious tag? <laughs> It's like, this man doesn't know what loquacious means. <laughs> Generally, you support this performance. I don't think Michael Fassbender is really good. I think everyone... Yeah. yeah good, good, good scene. Yeah. He, um, he nails all of these, like, just silent tension scenes. Um, the, which, you, which I think is, like, that's the most impressive thing, is because quite often in Tarantino movies before this, like, there is dialogue that is incredibly quotable, and you've got things like Samuel L. Jackson can still bust out the fucking scene from Pulp Fiction yeah. about, the, that that's a tasty burger. Like, he can still do that from memory and all uh, the rest of it. 
I think this is the first time that he actually uses it in like a weaponized way. Where like previously it's like, th- like there is tension in that scene in Pulp Fiction, but there is nowhere near as much tension as there is in this. It's less monologues and more dialogue. Yeah. Which I think is like the the kind of like key differences. Like, and that's not to say that Tarantino hasn't used dialogue in this way before, or that he hasn't done tension filled scenes before. Like I'm thinking to the scene in Jackie Brown with them sat in the car, mm. which obviously ends with one of them dying. But this is the first time where there's the, most of the movie, like three fifths of this movie, are literally just conversations between two people that could go and end in like massive bloodshed if someone does the wrong thing yes and they do (laughs) (laughs) and i also like that they don't explain it to you until after it's all over but like you you get like they do do the zoom in on the fingers and it's after that that he's like right so you start guessing at it like oh what's he done what's he done wrong is he like has he held up the wrong number of fingers has he said something he shouldn't have said and it's like no he just german people do three with a thumb instead of the middle fingers you get the little mexican standoff that's supposed i guess it's supposed to be funny i don't know but it's like after everything we've just seen it's like i think i think i think it's kind of like a breath of fresh air a little bit but obviously yeah. it's still kind of tension filled because like Dan Kruger's sat on the floor she's obviously wounded she ends up killing him the father of Max she ends up killing yeah they leave certain things like they do the close up on the shoe I think as they leave yes but also we know that the she signed her fucking name onto an autograph she sure did and Landa like rocking up to rumble them before it's even happened so we go into the final scene knowing it's gonna go wrong when they're getting her patched up and like Brad Pitt doesn't trust her so he's like shoving his finger in her bullet hole or something and like, yeah that was that was like the other big one that my partner just kind of was like nope nope not watching this yeah and also just that degree of like why is this man like torturing this woman but you know it is war and whatever but it's I, did, I did I did think for a second that this movie was going to get away without having Tarantino's foot fetish and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah she makes the comments about do you Americans speak any other languages it's like yeah that, that's a that is a whole thing uh, yeah and them hatching this plan of like you know i speak the most italian so i will play your date you speak the second most so you know just not along and you speak the third most and it's like i don't speak any it's like like i said the third most <laughs> it's like okay okay so chapter five is the night of the premiere everyone Everything comes together yes like this. everyone who's still alive is in this part of the movie that was kind of how i wrote it originally everyone who's still alive gathers <laughs> and it's like if this were a mini series like i i do sort of appreciate that level of like we've had these sort of almost four disparate sets of characters and this is where they all overlap with each other but Lander murders Hammerschmack Hammerschmack captures Aldo begins negotiating for his plan to go ahead anyway so he can get a like good surrender condition the theatre burns to the ground the two remaining bastards shoot many many Nazis including Hitler and Goebbels which we'll talk about and then at the end of the film Aldo brands Lander and we go to credits so let's talk about (laughs) that's a lot of stuff but yeah this is the most packed one I do think all of it lands I think it's a fantastic yeah. payoff to everything that's happened in the movie up to this point, but it's definitely yeah. the most plotty yeah. and fastest moving of all five sections of yeah. this movie. So you got Shoshana putting on her makeup, like like literally like war paint. There's this contemporary pop song playing over. I don't. Uh, it's, actually... it's, it's, it's David Bowie from. It's not contemporary. It's uh, David Bowie from a movie from the 1990s. I think like it's it's yeah. not. No, sorry, it's 1980s. No, it's, I, it's I, kind I of... by contemporary, 
didn't mean like from the time the movie was made. Oh, I, just, okay. I just mean it's very definitely not from the forties, and it's like yes. they rarely do that. Like I think there are two songs in the movie. I think there's another one a little bit after this, but it's like it's a little bit jarring to hear a yeah, song no, that is anachronistic, you know, over this is. otherwise it's, incredibly authentic-looking movie or whatever. I, I think it's interesting because it's kind of continuing that theme where like a lot of the stuff that Tarantino pulls from soundtracks is stuff that's in other movies, and this is yeah. like this isn't a classic Quentin, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is this isn't like a David Bowie song that's from Let's Dance. This is like something that is in the soundtrack for a movie that was released around the same period. So like Lander arrives and you know makes a beeline for Bridget and like rumbles the mountain climbing story immediately. Of course he's fluent in Italian, which Christoph Waltz was not. He learned strictly his dialogue for this movie and nothing else. Uh, speaking of which, I forgot this. When he audition when Quentin auditioned Daniel Brühl, Daniel Brühl didn't speak fluent French, but he was like I don't think he can tell the difference so i'm gonna pepper in a little bit of the languages i do know and i think he won't be able to tell and sure enough quentin did not know the difference and assumed he was speaking just pure french and then mm-hmm. he learned by the time uh, that he had to do it and him just just immediately tearing through this story and just being like oh so where, where was this mountain in paris in the last 24 <laughs> hours and because oh it looks very fresh and we know he knows that she was there last night but being like oh it looks very fresh and she's like oh yeah you have a good eye it was yesterday morning and it's like ah and you got here this quickly there are no fucking mountains anywhere near paris and then, during all of this the camera is moving around and around and around nauseatingly fast in my opinion i feel he is overly eager to show he's a filmmaker ass filmmaker and this is a scene where it's like could you just calm down and just let the scene play out like you've done it I so think, well in other places yeah i think i think this this whole thing is because obviously it cuts it's it's doing the whole thing well like it starts off with emmanuel and also shoshana emmanuel however you want to refer to her in this conversation with uh, daniel Brühl and i think goebbels is there as well and then we kind of like go up to the first floor and then we come back down to this conversation between like all these characters it's all done in one camera movement and but he mm. wants to keep the camera moving whilst he's doing this dialogue scene and it's not until I think like they send he starts laughing at their Italian accents that we get our first camera cut of this scene in the cinema. The cinema set, fantastic. Oh yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But I also love like my one of my favorite little bits of this is like when they're talking to talking and he's like making them say their name over and over again because they're pronouncing it so badly. <laughs> yeah, and Omar Doom, like he, the one with the the worst knowledge of Italian is the only one that says it right first time and whatever. <laughs> and he goes like, well done. He just like congratulates him. Yeah, he's yeah. so obvious about the fact that he knows that they can't speak Italian at all. And Aldo, like standing there, like almost clearly knows, like fuck, <laughs> like because he does answer his questions correctly because he's saying like long amounts, and then it's not like he's coming out with like yes, like he is like when he says it, it's possible one of the things where like he has a lot of Italian family and he never learned Italian, but he can like listen to them. And yeah, kind of like, yeah. spon- like it's a, it's a. I can understand it. I just can't speak it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of knowledge of where you're expecting him to like tangle him in that knot, where he's asking him a lengthy question that requires more than a one word answer, and he can't give it. But it's instead just like he just does not have enough words, and <laughs> it's just like saying the name badly three times in a row. Uh, this this is probably like the funniest scene in the movie. Yeah. I will this scene of them struggling with Italian. Them doing the like fucking borderline racist, not racist, but you know xenophobic like 
the little Italian hand gesture as they're saying stuff. It's just like, oh, jeez, guys. He's like, oh, let me see your ticket numbers. He's like, oh, 0023 and 0024. Those will be easy to remember. And, like, gives them back to them. He's like, off you go. And it's like, oh, okay. But, yeah, sure enough, he takes Bridget out back and he murders her. And, and it's like, he has the note. And that's the actual incriminating bit. But the fact that he uses the fact that the shoe fits... There's more than one person in the world with the same shoe size, dude. <laughs> like, but it's that, that that is the thing that is like, aha, I will kill you now. So here we hear a thing I don't like about Quentin Tarantino. Those are his hands strangling. Yeah, yeah, they are. And yeah, he they are. gave a quote about how he feels most strangulation scenes in movies are bad because you know the actor is in no real danger. So I'm going to strangle you for real. I'm going to cut off your oxygen. And fair play, she agreed to it. Stupid of her. But, you know, these things, we hear these sort of stories and it's like, you take out the part where she may have felt pressured to do this or he might fire her from the movie. And he choked her almost to the point of unconsciousness and this is not the first story of him endangering the life of particularly an actress in one of his movies yeah i mean there's a there's a reason uma thurman hasn't worked with him in a long time and it's like you know if these things were isolated i would say hey that's not cool and move on but like knowing that this is a pattern with him Whatever. I think Diane Kruger plays her death scene really, really well, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's unfortunate that... National Treasure's <laughs> own Diane Kruger. <laughs> so, you know, it's another great scene where he's, like, just tearing apart her story, and, and like, then they go and grab Aldo, and he tosses out a gay slur for no real reason. Classic Quentin getting those slurs in there. You know, I know that soldiers of an era would have said things that we probably wouldn't say, but you have chosen to write this dialogue, so... <laughs> and yeah, you get this weird scene where like you know he's got Brad Pitt and he's got BJ Novak and he takes them far away uh, and you're like oh I assume he's gonna go grab the two from in the in the theatre as well but no they are still sitting there with dynamite strapped around their legs <laughs> you know quite funny little reveal as their like feet are like tapping away like I have dynamite around my leg <laughs> he starts like interrogating them a bit and he starts being like well let's talk about if I let you do this and it's all a bit I assume it's supposed to read as he is uniquely clever enough to realise the writing is on the wall in terms of how it's going for the Germans and I could get out of this favourably. Whereas if I do my duty, soon Germany will lose and I'm fucked. But it's 1944... I think they were still very much in it at that point. It, the I think, I think the turned. whole point is they make a point of saying that the Americans are at the beach and yes. it's supposed to say that like D-Day has happened, mm-hmm. the the end of the war is looming, and like obviously like D-Day wasn't this definitive like the war is going to end in six yeah, months yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of thing yeah. that the movie's building up to be. But I think it very much they're p- kind of painting this idea that it's like well they're now coming back with a new fresh force of soldiers. The yeah. English the English is obviously revitalized by this. They're going to liberate France because there's no way that the German forces we do have stationed in France will be able to... To hold France, yeah. To hold France. Yeah, and, so. and, and it comes across as like, yeah, he is clever enough to know to get out while the going's good or whatever. But then, given how it all plays out, he does end up kind of looking like an idiot in the end. After the entire film, he's been the smartest guy in every room and everything. That's how he's been able to do what he's done. And it's like, dude, they're not gonna just let you get out completely scot-free and everything. I think it's just his, his, his mis-idea or, like, misplaced idea of, like, 
like honor the rules of war and everything and, yeah. yeah and you know like you get harvey keitel as the oss officer over the phone you know another quentin frequent collaborator and everything and yeah you get aldo talking about his past as a bootlegger and like you know this all seems a little bit too good to be true and it's an odd little like you're not expecting it it's like oh okay because it is like, why has he left those two in the theatre? And it's like, he could grab them at any time. He makes that point. He's like, oh, you know, I can get Hitler out of there. I can get Goebbels out of there. I can get Goering out of there. So you won't win the war tonight, blah, blah, blah. And we keep cutting back and forth to the theatre because there's multiple plot lines going on. And like, at this point we see, you know, Frederick is watching the film. And he seems disturbed to see his own actions on the screen. And it's like, you know, the, he is the closest we have to a sympathetic Nazi at this point or a sympathetic German soldier. But then he goes up and... <laughs> fucking kicks a door in because a woman has sexually rejected him and yeah so he goes up to the projection room to see Shoshana and and he's like asking again to see her and she's like no fuck off and and all that sort of stuff and yeah he kicks that door in and Quentin Tarantino he said that he believes that Zola really did love Shoshana and that in their that he believes their final encounter was tragic and that Zola forcing his way into the room and threatening her represented Zola fatally allowing his emotions to get the best of him at the worst possible moment. Yeah, this is red flag behaviour, in my opinion. That like, oh no, he's he's just passionate in his refusal to take no for an answer in this big rapey behaviour. It, it's weird because like I think the outcome is the correct outcome for this. Yes. <laughs> it, it's more the context behind Tarantino talking about it that kind of makes you go, yeah, but it's like, I'm just going to go, death of the author, the text on the screen is pretty clearly she understands this is red flag behavior and shoots him in the fucking back oh yeah 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 <laughs> I just mean just the general like him trying to like say oh no he did love her I was like dude he kicked a fucking door I mean the thing, is, the thing is like maybe he did love her like I, I'm not gonna disagree I'm not saying he doesn't that, love like, her I'm saying that like to, to hand yeah. wave it as like oh he just got a little bit too passionate in the moment it's like no this is this is rapey behaviour and yeah, like yeah, yeah no then, 100% but I do think it is it's very much like almost nice guy thing like he's not a nice guy but yeah, it's exactly. just like I'm he entitled to nice. this woman who I I've played um, by the rules give me your vagina <laughs> yeah No, that's not how fucking life works, dude. The overly violent blood splatter after he shoots Shoshana. Again, it's like, ah, Quentin, why must you masturbate over violence? You know, sucks for her because, you know, you want her to... I mean, she does get her win, but she doesn't live to see it because she and Marcel have... She's, like, given this message in English. It was originally scripted to be in French, I think, or possibly even German. She told them, make it English. The audience will appreciate it more. She basically talks directly to camera and is like, yeah, you're all gonna fucking die and then they set fire to the theater and like historically hitler did not speak english so would not have understood what was happening but you know we're making a movie here and yeah the theater does start burning down and at this moment you know donnie and is omar's character called omar oh yeah omar 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 donnie and omar have snuck out back to try and get directly to hitler's like private box or or whatever and you know they kill it i do like the little bit like can you get to him in in like 10 seconds he's like i'll have to and then it like is a really short little thing and he just does it <laughs> they burst in and they just fucking shoot Hitler and Goebbels so did you know that this happens in this I movie? knew I suspected they killed Hitler based on spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood don't they like save Sharon Tate or something it, it's not they don't even save her they just the people who murder Sharon Tate break into the wrong house first which happens to be the house where the protagonists of the movie live and they kill uh, them all. and they kill them and we get this kind of like right. like if you are worried about the fetishism of violence in this movie, the kind of like 15 minute sequence in which they murdered the three people who murdered Sharon Tate is yes. 
quite genuinely pornographic in that yeah, film. That's the part of it. It's like Quentin being like, I'm going to cathartically work out. I'm mad at these people that this happened. I will solve this by creating a thing for everyone to enjoy where they are just violently murdered for you to enjoy. And it's like, I get the well-intentioned you're coming from, but this is gross, dude. Which is why I think that this one pays off a little bit better because like most of the deaths are by fire and by like long-distance gunshot. I think the only one that's kind of super egregious is the close-up on Hitler's head as they shoot as it repeatedly. Shoots him repeatedly, yeah. And like the cutaway to like Donnie's face as he's got that like wild look in his eyes and everything. And it's but I still think I still think the catharsis moment in this movement, especially this year with like all the shit that's been going on with Nazis in like real oh, life yeah. history, oh, yeah, like yeah. this movie pays off no end. And I love this kind of like it feels like a win to watch this movie this year. Yeah, um, certainly. I did guess that that's what happened because someone likened the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to what he did in Inglorious Bastards. And I'm like, oh, I guess they kill Hitler then. <laughs> and yes, they sure do. In this scene, the fires got wildly out of control and burned to such comically high temperatures as a thousand degrees Celsius, which I think is 2,000 Fahrenheit. And the fire safety people said they had about 15 seconds until they all died and they had to treat Omar Doom and Eli Roth for burns, just standing near fire. And Quentin Tarantino spoke about it in a way of like, oh, but none of us wanted to back down and ruin the shot. And it's like, this is the kind of shit where like, you hear these like wild things that directors and actors do to like get the performance they're looking for. It's like, there is a fucking line and it's people's lives and safety. And yeah, I mean, like, and we, we, it feels like there's more and more recently of like people being like, even down to like Daniel Craig getting injured on the set. There's, I mean, like Tom Cruise on the set of Mission Impossible Fallout where he broke his ankle on my building I work in is another one. Like the, Leo the, 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 cutting his hand open and smearing it on an actress's face. In uh, Django, even the Deadpool two one, where like the movie, did, I don't think even the movie shut down for like any like long period of time where the stunt woman died. Yeah, and obviously Tarantino is is source that like because Uma Thurman came out and said that she almost died during doing a stunt on Kill Bill that he pressured um, like, her into doing without a stunt driver. Yeah, yeah, like there's there's a lot of stuff, especially on Tarantino sets, where like it feels like I, I will do anything a, for the shot I want. And it's, yeah, but I, I don't know if it's a budget thing or I don't know if it is just a literal negligence of safety thing. No, I think um, I think it's that. I think he views his vision as the thing they must all help to achieve and like oh it, you know I think he just assumes everything will be fine I think he doesn't have a sort of level of care to other human beings that others might but yeah we see these two just slaughtering Nazis we see Shoshana's film up on the screen I assume Marcel dies because he starts that fire behind the, the... yeah like he's he's far too close for yeah because they kiss goodbye and it's like I don't know if you're supposed to think they're romantically involved before this but it is it does very much readers are we're gonna die we mean something to each other let's kiss type yeah. thing and yeah and it's it's great it's triumphant for Shoshana and it's like Donnie and Omar just being there is almost like secondary here because yeah like get... they, they blow up because the timer goes off and like all three sticks of dynamite are in that room with Hitler like yeah. just making it even more over the top how they kill Hitler <laughs> he burned his shot he died he got blown up yes yeah so all of that happens and then we cut away to we see that the OSS have agreed to get Lander out and he will get land somewhere in New York and like the history books will write that he was a double agent from the beginning and he was a key part of Operation Kino and all this shit and, and he's like oh I want all of them to get a medal of whatever it's like, he's like making like a little face to them like oh don't worry guys I got you and they go and do the handoff 
and <laughs> Aldo shoots one of the many characters they call Herman, which is, you know, it was a joke at the time, it just meant, like, soldier. And Lando's like, what? I oh, know, no, what are you doing? I, like, negotiated for that man's life. And he's like, ah, they're not gonna mind if he's dead, they just want you. And it's like, I'll just be chewed out, I've been chewed out before. And then, uh, yeah, they brand him with a swash sticker, and that is... Which your- they definitely do not cut away from. No, they do not. Oh, I do, speaking of cutaways, I do... As perverse as the scalping is, him talking to BJ Novak and they cut away to him just, like, just casually just scalping a guy and going, yeah, I agree, and then cutting back again, it's like, what? <laughs> Are you going to go with that as the as the shot? Because I feel like that is the defining shot that a lot of oh, people Oh, of them both things. looking at cameras, and it's like, ah, oh, this is my finest work yet. As he, yeah. Uh, is this supposed to be meta with Quentin thinking as he wrote it, this is my finest film yet? Like, you know, I am Aldo Rain, or whatever. Maybe. Yeah, and your movie ends, and it's like, yeah, Lando, you keep winning, and you didn't quite win this. I mean, he gets to go to America, but he will forever be branded. It is Snyder Batman levels of, of justice here, uh, that he will live out his days, and everyone will know he was a Nazi. And Yeah, like, it's amazing in a film where they kill Hitler that that's not the final scene. <laughs> and it's like it's yeah. like you said, it's like Hitler is almost incidental to this story about Lando, about Shoshana, about the bastards, and, and yeah, it, it ends, and I didn't hate it, but... <laughs> I don't so, like so, Quentin Tarantino so, still. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, at least at least you didn't hate it. Um. So no. so where does it rank? Is it better than Jackie Brown for you, or do you think Jackie no, Brown? I'd rather being... go watch Jackie Brown again than watch this okay. again. I, I I I will remember this for the acting performances, and I will remember the the tension of those interrogation scenes. But beyond that, I'm just like I can't get past the parts about Quentin Tarantino that I dislike, and this didn't fine. do anything to dissuade that. And it's not like we didn't go into this thinking that like. I was going to see this and be like, I see the light. I love Pulp Fiction now. Yeah, no, I, I 100% didn't. I was just like, this is one that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I think the things that I enjoy about it, there's enough of them that you would not abjectly hate it. And yeah, like, I didn't, stuff like I didn't stuff. sit there having a bad time. I think it is a good movie. I just, I wouldn't single it out. Like, I wouldn't put it on a list. But this is our list collaboratively. And like, I can see why it got acclaim and why it is some people's favourite Quentin Tarantino movie and this, that and the other. But yeah, for me, it is about the big power house performances and those like amazing actor showcase scenes and everything and Mike Myers quite frankly uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've done it I, I've, I've managed it I got through a Quentin Tarantino movie and I got through a war movie and that's you it did. for war movies right Ben it's not sadly it I not. mean I mean I guess we're confirming it now we can still do Zombieland if you really want no so originally we put a poll out between a history of violence and Zombieland and much to the chagrin of one Mike Thomas Zombieland one, <laughs> and I kept telling you, dude, I pick Zombieland, but like you can fully just pick History of Violence. I don't care, and you put it to the vote, and Zombieland one. But as we kept going through, it kept feeling like a little bit too silly of a pick, and Hurt Locker kept coming up, and it was like, fuck it, let's do Hurt Locker. Let's have another female director. Let's make Matt watch a full-on war movie. This is all a long way of saying next week, our final episode of this volume, another war movie. You've managed to talk me into doing Quentin Tarantino. You know, and two war movies. And two war movies. But we are two. doing we are doing our third best picture winner. Yes. I think this makes more sense. So that will be next week. Until then, go to entertherealworld.com. Like, comment, subscribe. We have many, many podcasts. We have many, many things that can be read 
not recently, but go back and check the archive. We have a whole listicles tab on the left of the site. I listen to Flooping the Pig, an Adventure Time podcast. I listen to the Superhero Pantheon. And Mike and I will have a Christmas special coming out. I, it might be out right now when you listen to this. This episode is releasing on the 21st of December, so... I would imagine it will be out. And yeah, we will see you next week for our final episode of Volume 1 of There Will Be Movies, The Hurt Locker. Ben, I've just answered the question. There will be one more movie, but, you know, just will there be movies? We all confirm next week when we announce what we're doing next <laughs> bye everybody go kill some Nazis